0: Thanks for coming along tonight. You know, in every human heart, there is a really deep, irrepressible longing for God. That's why we're here. That's why we come here. Because what you give expression to is what you grow, and that is the most important part of us, the most important longing that we have. And ultimately, in one sense, our deepest longings all really come down to this. Ultimately, we all long for God. Unfortunately, though, this can get knocked kind of off-kilter uh, off a little bit. Essentially, that's, that's kind of what temptation is. Temptation is a kind of deception where something really great within us, where something really valid, where your deepest, irrepressible desires actually get kind of knocked off a bit or lured slightly in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, when it comes to this deep longing for God, and really this is the thing I wanna focus on tonight, often we get, drawing, we get drawn in to pursuing things that are in some sense far less than what God is. This really is the classic biblical problem of idolatry, and which is the great nemesis of the true, true faith. Now there are two kinds of idolatry, and these two kinds are the concern of the first two commandments, in the famous 10 Commandments. Let me, let me read them. And, and I'm gonna focus, this is gonna be a focus for me tonight because even though as I read these, you're gonna think, well, that, obviously, we don't, we don't do that. Uh, actually, what I want us to help us to see is that there is a deep, deep tendency in the human heart to go wrong here. But this is something that God can liberate us from and lead us into a much better place so that we can know Him as He is. First Commandment says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The second one is this, Exodus 20 again. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So the first commandment is Concerned with worshiping something that is less than God. It's giving your ultimate love. And because really, worship is what you what you worship is what you ultimately love. To worship is to give your ultimate love to something. So, in a sense, this worshiping something less than God is giving your ultimate love to what is not ultimate. It's worshiping a false God. Now if that's the case with the first commandment, the second commandment is essentially making a false image of the true God. It's representing God in a way that is less than what he is. Now, it's often the first one that we think of when we think of, you know, idolatry, it's like bowing down to other gods. But interestingly, it's the second one that is perhaps the most common. And in a sense for us, probably the most tempting. That is to make a false image out of the true God. Now you're probably wondering, how on earth do we do this? Well, I'm I'm gonna talk a little bit about that at the moment. Now there there are two, the two most famous moments, the two, I should say, the most infamous moments of idolatry in the story of the Bible are actually instances, more of the second of these, making a false image out of the true God. There are two classic stories. And the first one, of course, is the story of Aaron when Moses was up on the mountain and he was ironically receiving the Ten Commandments that said this, and the people are, you know, for 40 days and for 40 nights, they're there on their own. They're in the desert, you know, in the ancient world, out in the desert, like that's where, you know, demons dwell. And so they're terrified, right? And, and they're wondering, they, they want some sense of tangible security and you know, some tangible sense that God is actually with them, that he's actually there. You've ever found yourself wanting that? God, give me something tangible. Give me something tangible so that I know that you're there. Well, the people went to Aaron and they said, come on, give us something. Give us something so that we know that God, give us something tangible so that we can know that God is with us. And so Aaron does what really was the custom, was one of the most recognisable forms of representing a deity uh, in, in, in that culture and he made a golden calf. He made a golden calf, very famous story. And he said, and it was said of that, he said, hear, O Israel, Are your gods? Hero Israel is your god. He was. It was. He wasn't actually intending them to worship another god. He was wanting to make something like an something that would represent the god that brought them up out of Egypt. So he said, "Here, O Israel, is your god who brought you up out of Egypt." That's the first story. The second one is a lot like it, actually. And this is the one that I'm going to focus on today. This is the story of Jeroboam. Now you may not know this story, but it's an incredibly important story in the Old Testament because of the, because of the consequence that flowed out of this action of Jeroboam's. We go forward about 500 years from the time of Moses to when the 12 tribes of Israel are in the promised land. They became the great kingdom of David and Solomon. But at this point, they've been split in two. Uh, by a revolution that was led by Jeroboam against Solomon's son, Rehoboam. So there was now a southern kingdom with Jerusalem as the capital and they were called Judah. They became known as the Jews, that's where that comes from. And then there was the northern kingdom made up of the northern tribes and they are from this time referred to as Israel. So if you're reading your Bible and it's talking about Israel on the one hand and Judah on the other, you think, hang on, what's the, what? What? Uh, well, one is the northern kingdom because we've got a split kingdom and one is the southern kingdom. It's a tragedy, this split is a tragedy And yet this was a consequence of Solomon's lapse into false worship that God actually intended. It was God who gave the northern tribes to Jeroboam with the promise that he could be king and that if he remained faithful to God and walked in God's ways that he would be mightily blessed and his kingdom would be secured forever. But Jeroboam didn't remain faithful in fact he did exactly the same thing as aaron did 500 years before and for much the same reason he needed to keep the people with him you know if he didn't serve god up to them in some sense particularly in that culture you know they would all end up going down the road down to jerusalem i mean he didn't want people going down to the temple he didn't want people going you know to the church down the road saying oh man you got to no he wanted to keep them in his realm So he thought, well, I'm gonna have to better the temple uh, in Jerusalem, which in one sense was kinda easy. Because if you went into the most holy place, which no one ever could anyway, the only thing that you would find there would be a box, a very pretty box, but a box with 10 commandments in it that told them not to make a false image out of the true God. In other words, there was nothing in there that could, nothing tangible that represented God. In in fact, it was at probably around this time, possibly, quite possibly around this time, under Rehoboam's reign because the Egyptians came up and they sacked Judah. And it may well be at this time that the Ark of the Covenant was taken. Um, And at the end of this message, I'm gonna tell you where the Ark of the Covenant is buried. No, I'm not gonna do that. Um, uh, but that it was probably around this time. So actually, for a lot of Israel's history, if you went to the most holy place, there was actually nothing in there. And there's this classic story of General Pompey, the Roman general who conquered, Israel, who conquered Judah, I should say, uh, then called Judea, in, the, in 63 BC. And, you know, he's a Roman, and they had lots of different gods, and they depicted their gods in lots of different ways. And he wanted to see what the God of these people look like? Right, let's see what their God looks like. So he barges in to the temple, goes into the holy place, opens the curtain to the most holy place and finds nothing. It's actually completely empty and it was absolutely (laughs) staggered. There's nothing in here. What do these people worship? Where is their God? That's a good question. I think probably a lot of people in this room ask that question a lot. In the absence of some kind of tangible representation of God, where is God, where is he? Well, Jeroboam felt compelled, felt pressured, by his people i got to serve god up in some kind of tangible form to keep these people with me this is what they want i'm going to serve it up to them so this is what he does and this is what it says in 1 kings chapter 12 let's read just a few verses here you can read the whole story for yourself from verse 26 jeroboam thought to himself The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Exactly what Aaron said. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and they went as far as Dan to worship the other, And actually, to this day, you can go to the site up there in northern Israel. There's a picture here uh, of the very site where Jeroboam set up uh, the altar here in Dan. You can go to it. It's kind of haunting, this site, given the significance of what went on here, given how disastrous this moment was. Well, this created a trajectory of pagan worship, that would take hold across generations. And ultimately, this was gonna to lead to the downfall of the kingdom. Because, you know, people will always want a God that is smaller than the true God. Something tangible, something on hand, something user-friendly, something that they can wheel out on demand, put in their pocket. Hero Israel, are you God? There, here, here is my God, there is my God. People are always gonna want that. Because otherwise, our attitude is like that of Pompey when he walked into, that, into the most holy place. Well, where is, where is God? There's nothing here. Have you ever, you know, have you ever tried to pray or you thought about God or, you know, and, and it's like, but there's nothing here. There's no one there. Have you ever felt like that? A lot of people come to that place. A lot of people stumble at exactly this point. They get so caught up with what they see as the seeming absence of God. And I have so many conversations about this and invariably I ask the question, well, what is it that you're expecting? What is it that you're expecting to see? And it's always something. Now, I've spoken about this before. I spoke about this at the start of the year and I'm probably gonna talk about it a lot. Because we seem to come back to this again and again and again. We seem to always lean towards something, seem to always have this taste for something that is smaller than God. Maybe, oh, maybe if God did a miracle, right? If, if God, but if, if God did the most amazing miracle, well, that would be great and that would be a miracle and we would celebrate that. But a miracle is a work of God. It's not God himself, And God does do a lot of very tangible things. But you know what? Actually, talk about miracles, as I've said before. You are in the middle of the greatest miracle right now. Your very life, this universe, the very consciousness with which you are aware of what's happening in this room. That is a miracle. You're in the middle of it. It's unfolding. It's happening right now. It's just that we're kind of used to it, aren't we? That we forget how remarkable this actually is. But even the things that God does, the gifts that he gives, they are things that come from God, but God is so much greater than that but we tend to want these things we tend to want you know some kind of experience lord can i just have some kind of experience but here's the thing you know it's always it's always something tangible isn't it something you know and god does do tangible things but what i'm saying is that god is so much greater than that we're always looking for something and this is where i repeat myself just to go over some basics every now and again it's good to talk about well about God. Imagine that in church. Let's talk about the true God lest we get confused. God is not a thing. God is not something. God is not here and there and now and then. God is infinite, eternal presence. God is infinite and eternal. Constant. He is the very ground of all being, even your very existence is in some sense a participation in something of God. As I said, even the very consciousness with which you are aware of what's happening in this room is participating in something about God. God is intimately at work and constantly at work in every molecule in your body more than you can ever imagine. He is at work in everything around you. He's upholding everything, sustaining everything, creating everything. Every law of physics that even holds all of this together, God is actively at work in that right now. Every bit of chemistry in your body, it's all being held to it's, it's, God. It's, it's the constant presence of God. Now, when something is so constant, and it's like, it, it is so miraculous but because it's so constant right we just can tend not to notice it's like a fish saying where is the i don't where is the ocean i i don't tell me that there's something called an ocean i don't think the ocean exists because something that is so ever present in this case someone so constant and so great much greater than we can imagine. I'm not saying that God is the union. I'm not advocating pantheism, all that sort of stuff. No, this is actually the basics about God. There is a movement of God in all things, an active sovereignty. He is much greater than you think. He's probably much greater than you even want. The problem, as I've said again before, to repeat myself, the problem is not that you are not experiencing God. The problem isn't that you haven't had some big experience of God. The problem is that you are not aware that you are experiencing God. You are constantly experiencing God. If God withdrew, we would literally be in hell. His goodness, His kindness, his power right now enabling the very consciousness with which you're listening to me. Think about that. For those of you who are skeptics like me, sometimes I'm amazed that I ever became a Christian. Even the mind with which you question even the mind, the rational mind that questions and wants this to be all right, ra- even that is an active participation in something. This is God created that mind. But how can you ever think? How can you ever think that you could possibly? It? It's like we want some kind of knowledge, you know, some kind of tangible, something that we can, you know, because we're so, we're so addicted to a certain way of knowing. We like knowing things in, in ways that we can kind of grasp it and wrap it all up conceptually or, or sensorily. It's like, well, there is God. Here is God. Here, are Israel, are your gods. Something that I can actually kind of grasp in that sense. But God is way greater than that. And we need to accustom ourselves to a different way of knowing, not a way of knowing in which we grasp God as something, but a way of knowing in which we surrender ourselves to God and his will. Where we become like well, like those spongefish. Talk about weird creatures. We, we can know God like a spongefish knows the ocean. Who's into SpongeBob? Hey? How good is SpongeBob? I've got a mate who thinks that SpongeBob is the best thing that was ever on TV. So I've gone back and watched a bit. I think that's an exaggeration. But still love SpongeBob. That's how we know God. Not as an object that's there or there or here or there or now and then. And listen, this doesn't take away from the fact that we use this picture language to describe, we talk about God moving and God drawing near, and that's fine, right? Because God is at work and God moves and God wants to fill our hearts and, and God calls us to come to Him and to pursue Him, right? But pursuing God actually means not, it doesn't mean God Asking God to present Himself to us, the act of pursuing God is actually us presenting ourselves to Him. It's us breaking out of our kind of our cocoon. It's like we're these sponge creatures that have formed this crust around, and, and you know we're meant to we're meant to absorb the reality of God, but instead we're so we're we're so alienated. God calls us to become porous again. Because not only, and here's the good news, not only is God present in and around you more imminently than you can possibly imagine, but God's presence is for you. God is for you and not against you. For those of you who don't feel worthy of God's attention and God's love, no, he is for you. He envelops you, not in displeasure and anger. No, he, he is calling you to find forgiveness and grace in him. The way that we know God is by a different way of knowing. It's what we call worship. Sometimes you've got to do something. All you overthinkers out there like me, it's gotta think, now I'm gonna think about whether it's true. As if your puny mind can possibly grasp the enormity of the presence of God. In, in whose presence you are immersed right now, ironically. No, we're actually, you've just gotta do something, for goodness sake. Gotta open your heart to God, become porous. Ask God to fill you with His Spirit. Surrender yourselves to Him. This is the key to knowing God is to surrender yourself to him. It's not God who presents himself to us. It's we who are to present ourselves to God. And to say, God, here I am. I'm sorry, God, for the times I have not followed you. Save me. Break through to me. And fill me with your spirit. And make me porous again. And do you know that you can know God every day, all the time when you are awake, when you are asleep. Constant presence. A God who constantly communicates with you through everyone, everything, every circumstance. This is amazing. It's way better than you think. We're not chasing, you know, gods here and there like in the ancient world. I've got to somehow make this God happy. And No, no. God is for us, with us, much closer than you think. So tonight as well, and I'm going to invite you to stand. It's going to get, uh, stand with me. I'm going to get the music team to come up. I'd like you to join me in a really important act of acknowledgement. This is where we start. We acknowledge God. We acknowledge that He is with us. Because you can't think yourself to that point. You've got to actually do something. And one of the first things that we need to do is say, God, we acknowledge that You are present. It's amazing what that will do to your heart. Try starting your prayer time like that. Not, oh, Lord, are You here? Or, or, or you know, I... Or what, you know, the where is God kind of, what, what sort of God are you after there? No, the, you, you are immersed in God. What you need to do is acknowledge God, yes, you are here. So let's do that now. Father, you are here. Lord, we thank you that you envelop us. As the Psalm says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Lord, we could not get away from you if we tried. We acknowledge that you are here we acknowledge that you are at work, that there is so much divine activity around every life right now in this place, more than we can imagine. And Lord, we wanna say thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we wanna say thank you for the way that you lead and guide us. And Lord, we are sorry that we have not listened to you as we should. And Father, we pray that You would teach us to hear and see and sense, Lord, what is real. Father, help us, Lord God, to become porous, Lord. Help us to know You. And so we open our hearts. Fill us afresh with Your Spirit. Oh, we worship You today, Lord. Thank You, God. Thank You, God. Let's respond with this song.